Church and welcome to the service. Really glad that you guys have chosen to join us today. We have a church prayer meeting coming up this week, Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock that we'll be hosting live on Facebook. And our theme for this prayer meeting is to love out. We want to take some time to pray for some fellow advanced churches around the world, as well as four MPOs that we support and partner with in the city of East London. And so please, would you prioritize that time with us? Come and log in with us on Facebook and let's spend some time interceding for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to hand over to Matt quickly. He's got an update to bring to us regarding the finances on behalf of the elders. Hello, SBC. Hope that you're doing well. Uh, we want to just give a quick update on the church finances today. We've been doing so month by month as because many of you have expressed a concern for the well-being of the church, which we are very grateful for. So up until July, we saw a relatively stable financial context for SPC. We were able to cover our costs and pay salaries. And July was the first month where our income did come under our expenses. But because of the financial prudence of the finance team and also the good stewardship of resources by the staff, we are still in positive territory and we are continuing to weather this COVID storm. But as an eldership, we just really, again, wanted to say thank you to those who continue to faithfully give to the Lord's work as unto the Lord and as God enables you. We just want to commend you for your faithfulness in these days and thank you for it and continue to spur you on in it. And uh, we also want to recognize that these are unusual days. And so we are committed to financial prudence and uh, stewardship of, of the gifts that God gives us through his people. Then lastly, we just want to again say that we trust the Lord here. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord and the Lord has been good to us. And so we want to continue to call you as a church and ourselves to continue to trust God. Thanks for that, Maddie. Now I get to introduce to you David and Marion. They lead an advanced church called Foundation Church in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And they're gonna share with us some ways that we can partner with them in prayer during the season. Hi, uh, my name is David. I'm Marion. And we lead uh, Foundation Church Belfast in Northern Ireland. And uh, it's our privilege to bring you a bit of an update from our context and our country. Uh, the good news is that we're starting to see uh, the society emerging out of lockdown. Uh, very slowly, businesses are starting to open up and life is just starting to slowly uh, pick up pace again. Uh, as yet, we haven't heard about when churches can start meeting. So we're obviously anxious to hear about that. Uh, but we hope and pray that we'll, we'll be within the next month or so that we can start meeting together as a church once again. Um, we both are doctors as well. We're both working in the medical field. I, I, I'm a bivocational guy. I work in a hospital and, and Marion works in the community as a GP. And uh, for us, it's kind of been business as usual, actually. We've just continued to work. Uh, our, our routine hasn't really changed all that much compared to many other people in our city. Um, and in some ways, the COVID hasn't been as bad here as, as we were originally expecting, has it? I think it's... Yeah, the rates have been a lot lower than we um, first thought and the healthcare system has um, coped really well. And yeah, we're really grateful for that. And as a family, we've, we've stayed well. Yeah, yeah. So praise God. Um, and like you guys, every, we've had our highs and lows, our challenges about doing how to do church uh, remotely on Zoom and all that. And obviously we've missed the, the local gathering and uh, we can't wait for that to get back again. But one of the one of the standout things that has really encouraged us and, and helped to develop our community even further um, has been online alpha. We were one of the first churches in Northern Ireland to adopt uh, doing alpha online. And for us, it's been a huge mm -hmm. encouragement. Uh, we've seen so many people connect with us, uh, new people that we had no connections with whatsoever um, are now doing alpha. We've got one or two who are so close to faith in Christ, but as yet we don't know they've crossed that line of faith just yet. But it's been a really encouraging thing, reminding our church that we can continue to be uh, a church on mission, uh, even though we're, we're, we're held apart from, uh, from the gatherings. So that's been a real encouragement. So a couple of prayer points just as we close. Yeah, so first the Alpha, as Dave was saying um, about it there, it's just been such an encouragement uh, to our church family. We want to pray for salvations with two weeks left. So thanks for praying for that. The other thing we want to pray for um, is there's just been a new um, wave of interest in the church. Uh, we've had people connect online, listen into podcasts and uh, contact us and say they want to come along post lockdown. So just pray for a real momentum to gather and just that it will be added to uh, numerically post lockdown. 
Yeah, and thirdly and finally, uh, would you pray with us as we um, just want to come out of lockdown as a church firing on all cylinders and we want to have faith uh, to be stoked up by God um, for, for more, for more uh, multiplication, not just in the city of, of Belfast that we'd love to, to plant more into, uh, but across the island of Ireland as well for connections and further opportunities to advance the gospel in our country. So thank you for praying with us. Uh, we love you and I'll hopefully see you soon. Bye for now. Guys, I really encourage you to spend some time praying for them this week. And if there's anything that God lays in your heart for them, you're welcome to drop that to us in an email and we'll make sure it gets to them. Now we're going to dive into our next song of salvation. Matt is going to unpack Psalm 5 for us. And then just a reminder that you can stay tuned after the sermon. You're invited to worship with us through song today. You can also worship the Lord through giving financially via EFT. Or you can worship the Lord through sharing a testimony and answered prayer, perhaps a word of encouragement or a scripture in our comment feed. We would love it if you would participate in this way. Have a great service, everyone. Good morning, morning, SBC. A warm welcome to you and to all who are joining us today. We hope you are well. And SBC, we love you, we miss you, and we are praying for you. I'm going to read to you from Lamentations 3. Uh, It's an old, uh, well-known verse which we used to sing to. I'm tempted to break out of the song, but we'll see how it goes. From Lamentations 3, it says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that that is so true. We thank you, Lord, that it can be real in our lives. As we look back over time, those who would remember that hymn, that song from way back, would be able to say today, great is your faithfulness. So, Lord, we look forward to hearing your word to to us today and we pray Father that you would uh, use it in our lives mightily for your glory and for your name's sake in Jesus name Amen Amen we hand over to Matthew Welcome to our 24th Sunday online service. Can you believe it? And a warm welcome to those who've been joining with us right from the very beginning and to those who've joined us for the first time today. And you've joined us in a series called Songs of Salvation where we are looking at some of the Psalms. And uh, they are beautiful prayers that have been written down centuries ago um, that really unpack faith with flesh in it. What it, mean, what it means to uh, follow this God of the Bible um, in the context of real life. And so today's psalm is Psalm 5, and I'm going to ask a a small group leadership couple in our church, Wade and Roxy Keys, to read today's text for us. So over to Wade and Roxy. Hi, church. Good morning, SBC. We miss you, and we can't wait to fellowship with you again. We hope that today's message will be a blessing to you and your family. Today we'll be reading from Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. 
Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is distraction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy, and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Thank you so much, Wade and Roxy, for reading today. So the title of today's sermon is called Never Let a Good Crisis Go to Waste. And I've stolen this title from a quote which was attributed to the late, great Winston Churchill who led Great Britain through the Second World War. And uh, I thought it's uh, been quite an appropriate title for the season that we find ourselves in. I mean, hasn't this COVID pandemic been a wonderful opportunity for crisis, economically, relationally, spiritually, um, socially? Uh, there's been so much change and so much opportunity uh, to not waste a good crisis over the last few months, not so. But this Psalm 5 is not just written for pandemics, it's written for real life. And I want to remind us today that after the pandemic has passed, there will be other challenges in life that we will face. And uh, we need to have the attitude of Winston Churchill, where when he saw a crisis, he also saw an opportunity. And that's the way God sees it, and he wants us to see it. And so today, we're going to look at a crisis in David's life, which was massive. Last week, we saw how Joe unpacked David's uh, space in his life, where he was being hunted down by King Saul because of Saul's jealousy of him. But today, we're going to look at perhaps an even deeper crisis for David. Uh, commentators are pretty uh, certain or convinced that uh, this Psalm 5 is written in the period of David's life where his son Absalom is trying to kill him. Imagine that. And uh, trying to usurp him, uh, his throne, David's throne. The, Absalom's leading a coup. And David had to take his, his uh, group of faithful followers and family and flee Jerusalem. And he's on the run. And uh, Absalom is going to try and kill him. And David's life really in this moment of writing Psalm 5 is upside down. His whole world has been turned upside down. He's a man that's about to lose everything, including his life. And so Psalm 5 is really an expose of how David handles this deep crisis in his life, and particularly his distress through prayer. And uh, I want to remind you today, these Psalms, um, and the Psalms as a whole really is a masterclass on prayer. And I want to ask you today, have you discovered prayer in your life? It sounds like a strange question to ask, but have you discovered the power of prayer? Do you know, prayer is so central to becoming a Christ follower that you cannot be saved without prayer. You have to appeal to Christ to be your Lord and Savior. You have to pray. You also have to, to work out the salvation in life. Man, prayer is central to working out our salvation. And these 150 Psalms really are mini masterclasses on how to grow in your life of prayer. And remember, it's really important what Psalms trying to teach us here because like Tim Keller says, there are three ways of processing emotion and to have emotion really is to be human. And we have to learn how to manage our emotions, um, particularly emotions in an uncertain world with trouble and distress. And it's the same for the believer and not yet believer in Christ. But really Psalms, uh, is a way of teaching us to process our emotions in a godly way. Because really, there are only three op options, as Keller says. One is to suppress emotions, not good. To vent emotions, not good either. Or the biblical way of praying through our emotions. And Psalm 5 is a beautiful example of this today. But it really is an, an increasingly rare way of praying and if you just give me a moment, you know, as we unpack Psalm 5 today, I want you to notice David's patience in his willingness to take the time to bring his distress, his problem, into the presence of God. He's not in a hurry, not like you and me today, 21st century human beings, everything is instant, everything is fast. No, David takes the time to slow down. He doesn't process it with 5 million different people 
on the internet or Dr. Google, he, he doesn't do that. He slows down, he comes into the presence of God. He tells God what's going on inside of him. And then he waits for God to answer him. That's, that's something special in Psalm 5. And I, I want to say to you today, this is the way that we mature as Christians, is we learn that God values Psalm 5 kind of praying. You see, the reason why Psalm 5 is so rare or increasingly rare in 21st century Christians and you and me is really because we do live in an age of instant gratification and we, we have problems and we want immediate solutions. But we also have a tendency as human beings in times of distress to want to take situations into our own hands. Not so. We want to fix it. We want to solve it. And the sooner the better. And Psalm 5 is the antithesis of that. It is literally taking your hands off the situation until God guides your hands and how you are to put them back on the situation, or if at all. And so there's a struggle for control in you. I mean, in Psalm 5, you'll see David relinquishes his need to be in control. But there are other things that mitigate against the Psalm 5 kind of praying. It's, it's often you and me rush to other sources before God. And there's nothing wrong in reading books and articles and resources and talking to other people. But friends, might I remind you today, they are never to be a substitute for God himself. They are never to compete with God getting the first space in our lives. And so today, let's look at how Psalm 5 teaches us to process distress or trouble Whatever is perplexing, whatever is produced in a, in a situation of suffering, really, how do we process that distress through prayer? And I have eight points today. It sounds like a lot, but I want to remind you, all you do is you use Psalm 5 as your template for the rest of your life. When you read Psalm 5, you just remember, ah, these are the headings that come out from the text. And so I'm hoping that this will be a lifelong opportunity to go back to Psalm 5. And really delve deep into allowing it shepherd us to shepherd us through times of distress. All right, so point one, and it comes through so powerfully in verse one, is that when we are in a space of deep distress, the place that we need to start to process is through prayer is to say, I'm going to be totally honest and vulnerable before God. Point one is process distress with total honesty before God. I mean, listen to David here in verse one. He says, give ear to my words. Oh Lord, oh Yahweh, consider my groaning. It says, give attention to the sound of my cry. David in these words are, are, are showing his raw emotion and inner state. And it comes through in this word groaning. The Hebrew can be translated in a number of ways. The, the, the one way is to say your, your inarticulate sighings. Have you ever been in such distress? You, you can't put words to it, but you just, you are distressed in your soul. You, you're groaning inside. Or it can be your inmost thoughts. And if you take a moment and remember the context of what David, or the, the context David is writing, and you'll remember that he would be struggling with some big inner thoughts. I mean, these are the few I could think of. I mean, your own son is trying to kill you. I mean, how does that make you feel as a parent? Well, for me, pretty encouraged. I mean, none of my kids are trying to kill me yet, you know. But imagine he's, he's reviewing himself as a father. His own son hates him so much despises him so much that he wants to kill him. Or how about this? Most of the nation has run away to join Absalom. They've deserted the current King David. And if it was me, I'd be going, Jesus, was I a useless king? I must have been really bad. Like, where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong as a father? Where did I go wrong as a king? And, and where is God in all of this? I mean, I, I didn't choose to be king. God chose me through the prophet Samuel. And... Uh, um, I've con confessed my past sin. Lord, what are you doing? Is this the end of my life? I mean, imagine uh, thinking that I don't have many days left. At any moment, I'm going to be killed by my own son and his followers. I mean, David is sharing his innermost groanings. And I want to say to you today, we have to be so careful, particularly in the space of prayer, of not getting real with God. 
And the reason why it's so important is if we don't get to a place of vulnerability before God, none of the rest of the psalm can flow in our lives. You see, until you let God into your deepest space, there's a hindrance to him being able to minister to you. It's a courageous thing to do. And I'm not talking about venting your spleen against God. This is not an attitude of entitlement that David's coming to God with. He's calling God my king and my God. There is a reverence for God, but there's no facade. There's no putting on a show. And we can do that in prayer. We can try and hide behind certain words and phrases and thinking that this is what God would want to hear. Friends, in this space that David's in, the best place to start is to come and to say, God, this is what I'm, I'm dealing with right now. You have x-ray vision into my soul. This is, this is my inner cry. And, and literally, we can see that David goes from this groaning to his crying out before God. It is an expression of the very real nature of his soul. And friends, that's where we must start. If we're going to be able to process distress through prayer. And the second point is this, is we are to process our distress in the presence of God. You see, David's not coming to the presence of God and shaking his fists in the heavens and that's not what he's doing. He's bringing himself into a place of intimacy. He says something powerful. He says, give attention to the sound of my cry. My King, my God, he, he's, he is saying the, these words that express such a, a desire to draw close to the one who loves him. You know, there's only one person in my life that I call my love, and it's Marina, my wife. So how are you today, my love? That my, my love, is, it, it's, it's, it's a sign of connection and preciousness. It's, it's a sign of closeness. And friends, what we are doing with our pain in prayer is we are coming with all of our, our, our souls laid bare. And we're not, we're not trying to be anything that we're not, but we're coming to the one that we love, coming into his presence. And David wants to get so close to God here. You see, why is this so important? Is because, first of all, David's not praying mechanically here. Again, I want to just caution us from using prayer as a means of catharsis, but not really communion with God. You see, David is wanting to get close to God and in the deep, share his deepest space with God. And the reason why this is so important is because sanity only starts in a time of distress when you come into the presence of God. And this is what some of us need to hear today. You see, what we try and do to get sane in a situation of intense distress where there's this whirlpool of being hit by circumstances, relationships, my actions, their actions, um, you know, outcomes. It, you are just in, in, a, in an intense whirlpool of pain, of disruption. And what we try and do to get sane is we try and go, okay, well, let me, let me understand what that person did and what I did and this, the, who did what and why and how's it going to work out. That's not where we get sanity as Christians. Sanity comes, my friend, from coming into the presence of God and seeing who he is. You see, when David says, <laughs> hear the words of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. What he is saying in that moment, he's saying, my King, is he off his throne? No, God is not off his throne, although David's about to, and just lost his throne. This God, he is in full control. Men are against me. Armies are against me. A nation is against me. Oh, but God is not. God is on his throne. God is my father. God is the one who's for me. And when David brings his distress, his, his vulnerability into the presence of God, he starts to get oxygen, not from understanding the situation, but from seeing fresh with the eyes of faith who God is and who the ultimate referee is and who the ultimate one who has the ability and power to fix anything to step into any situation, who everyone is accountable to. It's God's. And friends, that's what we need. And from this moment, you'll notice David has such clarity. He's able to pray sequentially, work it out, be able to understand who did what, why, what the outcome needs to be. David's sanity begins, not by understanding horizontally, but by seeing vertically, vertically that this is God. And he's my God. He's my king. And he's the one who's in control. And something happens in that moment. It comes to in verse 3. 
is David goes from groaning, he can't even articulate what he wants to say, to bursting forth with this emotion in his cry in verse 2. To this interesting way of the, we translate the Hebrew in verse 3, it says, Oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you at watch. That prepare sacrifice, it, it portrays like a, a bry pack. You know, you arrange your things on the grid when you're brying. It's, it's getting something and putting it in order. It can also be translated, I, I order myself, I, I order my case. David goes from this disorder that's causing this groaning to seeing who God is in his presence and being able to settle and start to come to a place of sanity. Some of us need to hear that right now. When last did you come into the presence of God, my friend, and present yourself before him? That's where sanity begins. The third point is this. We are to process by the blood. Now, I don't know if you think it's a strange thing. It was for me to read this in verse 3 where David goes, Oh Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. You know, if you think about the history of David, his boldness of coming into the presence of God is pretty cheeky, if you had to ask me. I mean... If you wanted to point fingers in the situation, you could point your finger and say, David, this whole situation is your fault. The reason why your son is trying to kill you is because you slept with Bathsheba and tried, then murdered her husband when she got pregnant and to try and cover it up. And Nathan the prophet came to see you, David, and he said, you've sinned and you've owned your sin, yes, and you've repented of your sin. Ah, but what did Nathan say? Nathan said, because you've killed Uriah, the sword is not going to depart from your house. And we see it, the disorder in David's family from that point was massive. And this operating of the sword in his household is, you could say, David's fault. Now, I'll put it to you like this. Have you ever tried to pray with a guilty conscience? It's terrible. I'll give you a little personal testimony. That was the way I prayed for many years. Until somebody helped me. In a sermon, and they said, this is what you need to do when you start to pray and approach God. Is you say, Father, I thank you I am not coming to you by how I feel or how well I'm doing. I'm coming to you by the blood of Jesus. You see, what David's discovered here is the reason why he's so bold in being able to come into the presence of God is because he's prepared a sacrifice. In other words, he's trusting in the blood of another to give him a confidence before God. Man, if David had to look to his past performance, even his performance as a father, as a king, or the verdict of his people, of his, of his kingship, anywhere else where David could have looked in his life at this moment, he would not have any confidence before God because he would have felt like a failure. Doesn't that ring true for some of us? It does for me. But he's not looking to that. He's looking to the blood. He's looking to the blood of a substitute that is enabling the Father, his God in heaven, to deal with him closely. Not from afar. He can say, my king, my God, not because of my performance, no, but because of the blood of the sacrifice, because of the atonement. Ah, the satisfaction of God because of someone else standing in his place. That's how David prays. And friends, if you want to discover the joy of prayer, it's discovering that God is not using it as a stick to beat you. I want to be very open about church history. This is where the Catholic Church got it so wrong, but it was only expressing publicly what we can do privately in our hearts. When the Catholic Church said prayer is a form of penance, you do your Hail Marys and your Our Fathers as a form of earning merit with God and penance, in other words, to, to, to get enough merit for forgiveness to be released from your sin. The Catholic Church only institutionalized what we do by nature through our flesh. We can turn prayer into a space where we are earning God's attention or earning his favor. And let me tell you, I've prayed like that for years. It is the most burdensome and lifeless thing you can do. It's self-righteousness. And prayer is not a form of trying to make atonement for sin. Uh, please don't look at it like that. That is not the way God wants us to view prayer. Prayer is to express a coming into God's presence through the confidence of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how a Christian is to pray. And let me tell you, I don't care how spiritual you've been. I don't care if you've seen the angel of the Lord this morning. You need the blood of Jesus just as much after seeing the angel Gabriel than after committing adultery. You never stop, my friend, finding the joy of God dealing with you 
and communing with you through the blood of a substitute. And friends, David was able to have this confidence through the blood of goats and bulls. We have the blood of Jesus, the perfect finished sacrifice. And I want to tell you, if you will make the blood the cornerstone of your praying, it will give you such confidence. It doesn't matter if the enemy throws up past conduct. It doesn't matter if the enemy throws up how you feel and how little you feel like praying. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters what Jesus has done. And God is going to deal with you based on the righteousness of Christ. And that's why... It leads to my fourth point this morning is that because of the blood of a substitute, David's able to pray with expectation. And I want to, this, oh my church, if you would just hear this today, anybody listening, when last have you prayed with such a confidence that God was going to hear you and answer you? When last have you prayed like that? It's a question I ask myself. Now remember, David's not preempting the answer here. That's the difference. We're not trying to pray so that we can twist God's arm. We're praying that God's hand is going to move, but we're not going to try and dictate what that hand needs to be. But David has such a confidence. He says in the morning, oh Lord, you hear my voice. Because of this blood of the sacrifice, David is able to say, God is going to hear me when I pray. Do you pray like that, my friend? Man. The same guy that helped me to the blood and pray with this freedom of God hearing me because of the righteousness of Christ. He said in the next couple of sentences, we must pray. And when we pray, we don't just pray, I'm coming to you, Father, through the blood of Christ. And not because of how I'm feeling or how I'm doing, but because of what Christ has done, his righteousness. As we pray this, we're saying, I thank you, God. You're going to hear me. Doesn't matter how I feel. Doesn't matter what my track record assessment is right now in this moment. God is going to hear me. And because he's hearing me, he's going to answer me. Man, some of us need to recapture that sense of first, first love faith that we had when we had a situation and we go, you know what, God's going to hear me now. He's going to hear me. And when I'm praying, he's going to answer me. Man, might we become a church that when we pray, we're not just praying because we think God likes it. We think because we do it because God's going to answer it. That's the kind of people that pray. You, you can believe in the sovereignty of God to such an extent, my friend, that you don't pray. Because you feel, well, what's the point? God's going to do it anyway. No, no, my friend. He is dignified prayer. He wants to talk to you. He wants to tell you what he wants to do. He wants to tell you how he wants to step into situations, not just for you personally, but for nations. Don't you remember Daniel? Daniel prayed. He was so perplexed about what was happening in the nations. He couldn't understand some aspects of God's word, and he prayed. It took him three weeks, but he prayed with a certainty that God was going to hear him and answer him. I don't know if Daniel liked the answer that he got from the angel of the Lord, but I will tell you this. He expected an answer, and he didn't stop until he got it. And friends, again, I want to warn you from preempting an outcome that we want, but I want to say to you, because we are leaving God's hands free, because we are seeking his face, doesn't mean we don't expect God to answer. Doesn't mean we don't expect God's hands to move. Today, we need to be a people that say, Father, as I pray, I thank you. You're going to hear me. When you pray like that, you can move mountains, my friend. Because you realize your prayer is righteous. Of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It's accomplishing something. Ah, oh, let's pray like that. Let me move on very quickly. The fifth point is processing all conduct needs to be done against the character of God. You see, some distress is out of our hands. You know, maybe, uh, I, I can't think of a good example right now, but really something has happened that's been totally out of your control and, and there's nothing you can really do about it. But there is a kind of distress which David experiences, which is a common source in our lives of conflict with another person. Whether they know it or not, you have an issue with them. And friends, I'm not talking about a pie in the sky kind of praying here in Psalm 5. Psalm 5 is very concrete. And one of our desires as people who are rational and thinking as God's made us is we want to figure out the situation on so We want to figure out what the problem is. We're not happy to sort of just go, okay, I'm leaving it in your hands and that's fine. There are times when we want to analyze, did I get it right or wrong? Am I culpable here or am I not? Was that person right or wrong? And we are to be able to sort it out in our minds. David doesn't just leave it in verse 3. He goes on to verse 4 and he says powerful words, words here. Listen to this. He says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. 
evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Hectic. What is David doing here? He's now ready. After verse 1 to 3, those points that I mentioned, those first four points, being vulnerable, of coming into the presence of God, praying by the blood, processing by the blood, processing with expectation, has settled him. He's got sanity now. He can start to think clearly. And the way he thinks is so important. You see, there's, there's two dangers that when you're in a conflict situation that can come up. Is One is the danger of pride and just pointing the finger. It's the other person's fault. It's all their fault. And this is very real for marriage, for colleagues, boss, employee relationship, friends, you name it. Is we have the tendency to point the finger in the situation and say, it's their fault. But there's the other danger. The other danger in processing conduct in a situation of conflict that's caused a crisis or distress is to just say, well, it's all my fault. And depending on the kind of person you are, you'll lean towards one or the other. And both are wrong, my friend. Both are wrong. What God wants to do for us through Psalm 5 praying is he wants to bring us to a godly objectivity. He wants you to be able to say, was I right in this or was I wrong? And as far as possible, to assess the other person's conduct too. But the danger that we do, which is where sin creeps in, is we do that processing of conduct horizontally. We compare our actions to their actions, not so? Well, I didn't say that. If they hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have done this. Or well, I didn't react like that. It's their fault. I didn't do We are constantly trying to process conduct horizontally. And friends, I want to say to you today, you won't get anywhere like that. Because you've got the wrong yardstick. You have to process all conduct vertically against the character and nature of God. Now that's a breakthrough moment for some of us here who are stuck. You're just going cyclically around assessing horizontally everyone's behavior, including your own in the situation, and you're stuck. Sometimes you come out on tops and sometimes you don't, depending on what, where, you, where you fall. Friends, there is a space of object, objectivity where God can say to you, measure it against me. That's what David's doing here. He says, for you are not a God. He's saying, what's your character like, God? And let's just process my, my conduct against your character and their conduct against your character. That's the only safe place to do to process conduct. And based on your assessment against God, you will have a clear-mindedness of being able to say, was I right or wrong? Do I need to say sorry? Do you need to put things right? Where do I, where do I own my sin? Not the others. Where do I own my sin? Not just blame the other person's sin. And the same for the other person. What was their conduct in comparison to God's? Are you being fair? You see, because if you do that, you are taking ego out. You're not, you're not just making yourself the yardstick and, and making sure you, you win. You say, no, what's my conduct against God? And that's what we need to do. David does this in verses 4 to 6, and I'm going to move on. But I want to say this. Friends, if you have sinned by comparing your conduct to God, to his character and nature, your inner motives and thoughts, what you've said, what you've done, that you must make it right with him and with the other person, if you've hurt them. Six is... It's not just an assessment that we need to do in, in Psalm 5 praying of our conduct and other people's conduct and then reconcile it to God's nature and character and finding a clear-mindedness through that. It is also we ought to be positive in saying we ought to process what is pleasing to God in this situation and to be determined to do it. That's my sixth point here. You see, it's a follow-on from the previous one. Once you have clarity of being able to assess as far as you can see and with the help of the Spirit, your behavior and their behavior against God, that objective space of God, then you must ask yourself the question, not only what must I put right, but what must I do? 
positively? What is the right thing that would be pleasing to God to do? And this is what David does in verse 7. He says, but, that's an important word, but ah, he makes a standard. He can't own their behavior. He can own his behavior. He says, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house, will bow down toward your holy temple in fear of you. He's going to do something and he's going to make sure like whatever it is, it is pleasing to God. And then he's also going to do what God tells him to do. In verse 8, it says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. Friends, we must not just, we must not just agonize what we got wrong. We must agonize over what we must do to, 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 to get it right, to do what is righteous in the situation. Now, I don't mean that to try and, try and solve everything, but what I'm saying is you have to take a posture of wanting to please God, even in your praying. You're saying, God, it's not just what I got wrong. I want to know what I need to do that is right. And that's what David does here. He's going to seek God. I will enter your house. He's going to trust in the abundance of God's steadfastness. He says, but I, through the abundance of your steadfastness, he's going, to go, he's going to fear God alone. I will bow down and fear you. And he's going to do whatever God tells him to do. He says, leave me in your righteousness. My seventh point is this. Not only must we have a positive stance and say, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be determined to please you in this situation. But I'm also going to remember the consequences and fear the consequences of holding on to any sin. This is not easy, Psalm 5, what I'm talking about, because so often in conflict crises, our pride is wounded. Or even we are, we are angry at God. <laughs> but friends, today I want to say to you, it's not worth it. To hold on to any sinful position in a crisis, in distress, to hold a grudge, or to fall into unbelief with God, or to simply give up and say, you know what, I don't care anymore. In verse 9 to 11, there's something that's uncomfortable about Psalm 5 that, that creeps in, but it's so important. In verse 9 to 11, David says, after assessing their conduct, like I mentioned previously, in point five, he says, For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. What we see in coming up in verse 10, in response to David's assessment of their character and their behavior in the light of God's character, not his own, is he prays something that's very uncomfortable for us as 21st century Christians. <laughs> he prays something astounding. He says in verse 10, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Whew! That's hectic praying. Have you, anybody pray what they call an imprecatory prayer, where you're, you're calling down the judgment, the curse of God? Now just bear with me a moment. I'm going to make my points as succinctly as I can, but with as much clarity as possible. Is this sort of praying allowed? Can we pray this as Christians? Shouldn't we say, you know, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do like Jesus did, or pray for enemies and for, um, uh, even though they despitefully use you? Well, can I say to you that this kind of praying that David is praying, it is possible for the Christian. But it's a kind of praying that's only possible through the Holy Spirit. You see, what David is tapping into is God's attitude towards sin. And how sin robs God of his glory. You see, this kind of praying, this imprecatory praying, if you want the technical term, where David is saying, God, deal with them, is a kind of praying that's got nothing to do with David. It's entirely absent of any ego. You see, what David is doing here is he's connecting by the Spirit with what God feels about the situation in terms of God's glory. He says, 
at the end of verse 10. He says, because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. This is about your glory, God. It's got nothing to do with David. He's forgiven his son, as we'll know later. When there's conflict happening and Absalom dies, in a couple of days later, tragically, David weeps. He's got no grudge against Absalom. He's got no grudge against these people that have deserted him. What he is concerned about is the glory of God. And I want to just make this point. It can happen in prayer that you, by the Spirit, can start to see what this means for God and start to pray in line with a desire for him to God his glory. Now that means David's in the same boat as Absalom. If David has sinned, he is also costing God glory. So it's a prayer that's calling down an act of God on behavior that does not glorify God. And David can be in the same boat if he sinned himself. But here, David has analyzed his behavior. He doesn't see any sin. (laughs) He sees what they have done. And in this situation, David's hands are clean. He has not done anything wrong in this situation. But even that doesn't bug him. It's what they've done against God. And friends, my point is this, is that we have to be careful because there are consequences to remorseless sin. Absalom had no remorse against, uh, uh, towards his sin. Those followers had no remorse against their sin or towards his sin. They were going to kill an innocent man. They, Absalom slept with all of David's wives. He, he, he committed adultery with David's uh, concubines. He humiliated his father. He had no remorse. He was going on the pathway of sin. And David knows he's been on that way before. He's not going there again. He knows how it ends with a lot of pain. And I want to say to you today, friends, when we are remembering that, that unconfessed remorseless sin causes terrible tragedy, not just for the unbeliever, but for the believer, we start to see that we are careful around playing with sin in any crisis situations. You do not want to touch anything that's going to be uh, detracting from God's glory. Because what David is praying here, it is the voice of the Spirit. Remember, this psalm is 100% inspired. He is saying, these guys are not going to get away with it. And when David prays with his confidence of causing, calling for the consequence of Absalom's sin and all of those who have followed him, his counselors, to come upon their head because of their unrepentant behavior and because of what it was costing God in his glory, it's a reminder that, friends, sin sets us up, sets us up against God. We don't want to go there. And we can pray this way. It's a very rare form of praying. It's inspired by the Spirit, and it's an absence of any ounce of ego or vindictiveness in your spirit when you pray it. It is being gripped with a righteous jealousy for the glory of God. Let me tell you, it, it's happened. it happens, and if it happens to you, I want you to recognize and flow with it, but to understand that when you start to reach this kind of praying, there, it, it is almost supernatural. But it's a reminder that there is a consequence to sin, my friend, that if you hold on to it and it is remorseless in you, you wanted to shed the blood of an innocent man, you wanted to get back at that level of vengeance, with that level of vengeance, you are going to find that God is going to resist you and you will not escape the consequences of tragic sin. David's living proof of it. Now hear me in this. That doesn't mean... God is unable to forgive sin. David experienced that forgiveness. But when we are belligerent in our sinful actions, it leads to pain. God will not go with us down that road. He can be good to us genuinely, but at that point, he'll never leave us and forsake us genuinely, but at that point, even for the Christian, my friend, he'll resist you. It will cause tremendous pain, not only to you, but for your family, for your loved ones. No, we are to be so fearful of falling into sinfulness. We don't want to touch it. We don't want to go there that we give ourselves to righteousness, to what pleases God. I need to carry on and land this thing. But my last point, point eight is to remember the reward for righteousness. In essence, what I'm saying is this, what we learned in our our series with Joshua. Friends, God is not in their camp and he's not in your camp. He's in his camp. 
and his camp is righteous. And where do you want to camp out? Do you want to, you want to camp out in his camp or do you want to camp out in your own camp? Let me tell you, his presence, his blessing, his protection, his reward, it's in his camp. And that's what David says at the end. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Those who make God their refuge, let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. You are in your safest place when you are flowing with the will of God for your life. That's where you camp out, my friend. And Psalm 5 is a declaration and a promise of David saying, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. If you want God to be on your side, then my friend, you must be on his side. And his side is righteousness. And he's in a camp of righteousness. And he is going to bless what he favors and what he approves of. Don't worry about whether people are going to judge you or not, you make sure that before God, in this situation of distress, He's pleased with you. He's pleased with you. That's where His covering is. That's where His favor is, like a shield. So today, our time is up. But I want to encourage you, would you become a Psalm 5 prayer? Would you remember and take the time to come to the presence of God? Not run to everyone else first. They can be there, but make God your first port of call. And to give him the opportunity to speak to you. It's called waiting on the Lord. It's being expectant, even in these days of turmoil, that our God speaks, our God answers, and that He's mighty to save. Let that be our confidence in these days. Let that be the expression of our praise. Let's come to him. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for the joy of having the psalm as, as our teacher. Thank you that David's crisis that you led him through so well has become a pathway for us in these days to grow in our praying. And I pray today, Lord, if there's anyone here who's listening, my question to you today, can you say like David, he's my God, he's my King, He's not just a God. Or he's not just God out there. Is He yours? Is He yours, my friend? That only happens through trusting in the blood of Jesus. Trusting in that sacrifice that David was, was trusting. It was a foretaste of the sacrifice to come. Friends, salvation is for the man or woman that says, Christ is mine alone. My hope is in Him alone. He's mine. I've made Him mine. He's my only hope. Will you do that today? That's where you've got to start, my friends. Stop putting your feet and, and looking to everything else, putting your feet in other directions. You've got to say, Jesus Christ is mine. He's my only hope. But today, oh Lord, I pray for us who are in distress. We know you. My Psalm 5 just quieten our souls. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless cares to bear. Oh, because we will not carry everything, everything to God in prayer. Make us a praying generation, we pray. And might we hear great answers and testimonies in the days ahead of those that have had the courage to wait on the Lord. We ask, might you do great things in our day. In Jesus' name, amen.